0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Fitness Roundtable. I am Dion, and I'm here with Andrew and Phil. Today, we will be discussing training and nutrition, training while sick, slash recovery techniques, and competition mindset. So, before we get started, Andrew has something he wants to share with the podcast.
1: So, at the end of the podcast, we are officially giving away the t-shirt with the new apparel design on it. So, out of, I believe it was 17 people, one of you... We'll be winning a T-shirt at the end of the podcast, so definitely stay
0: tuned. Hey, let's get it! Can't wait to see who gets that T-shirt. We said we're starting off with training and nutrition, and we're kind of keeping that more generalized to like ourselves, right? Not like not like we did with the first one with the the fitness and fad diets type thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. All right. So yeah, Phil, you want to kick us off with a uh, some training and nutrition? What you do for yourself, man?
2: Sure. Uh, so since you've been saying training and nutrition in that order, I'll talk about my training first. I do uh, a lot of running. I've, I was pretty consistent doing uh, a marathon every like fall and spring with a half marathon and a couple other smaller races up until this spring. Uh, and when everything started getting canceled, I changed my plans, started running different distances, and I, uh, you know I'm still running... A lot, but it's not the same as uh, you know marathon training. The most I've ever run in one week is 60 miles. But these days, I'm averaging between 35 and 45 miles a week. And on top of that, usually I'm uh, lifting in my basement four times a week. So usually I just lift things that are strength focused: uh, squat, bench, deadlift, overhead press, kind of stuff. Uh, I was lucky enough to already have some good amount of equipment when gym started shut down focus mainly on trying to just get my like maximum strength, see how much weight I can lift on all of those lifts that I listed. Uh, I have a coach for running uh, that I've been working with since 2015. And I'm following a template for lifting that I started 12 or 13 weeks ago. Uh, In terms of nutrition, uh, I try to focus on making sure that I get a good source of protein at every meal and try to get uh, at least one to two servings of fruits and vegetables at each meal. So uh, normally, I have pretty much the exact same breakfast every day. I get a bowl with yogurt. I mix in uh, protein powder into the yogurt. And then I put in chia and flax seeds. I crush up a granola bar and put it in there. And then I put some raspberries and blueberries on top. Uh, and it's like densely packed with uh, protein, it's got some carbs, it's crunchy, and it's got the the fruits on there for for the nutrients. For lunch, normally I have eggs and toast. You know, sometimes I'll add a little bit more if I'm working out more that day. And uh, for dinner, I have different things every day, but tonight, for example, I cooked up spaghetti and meatballs for the family. And uh, in terms of, like, how I do my portioning, uh, you know, I kind of have a general idea of how much I should eat. And other than that, I try to just, like, you know, in in crudest terms, like, not eat like crap. You know, I know if I uh, grab, like, a box of Cheez-Its, I'm going to eat half of it before I even, like, look up from my phone. So I try to just, you know, keep uh, between meal and late night snacking to, like, a reasonable level, but with the amount that I'm working out these days, I don't worry too much about it. And I monitor my weight, and if it starts to fluctuate upward, then I would probably start to, you know, rein in those snacking habits a little bit more. But in terms of my meals, I don't really pay too much attention to how much I'm eating. I try to just, you know, eat till I'm feeling full and then stop.
1: It's really, really cool that we're both personal trainers and that we both have coaches. <laughs> I don't think I don't think a lot of people would would guess that. And so that's really cool. And there's definitely something to say that you don't know everything. And it's nice to get a fresh pair of eyes on your training every once in a while, for sure.
0: Yeah, I would definitely wanted to jump in on that, too, before you start, Andrew, and say that I also have a coach as well. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So we all, all three of us are trainers and yeah, we all three have coaches.
2: I think it's good. It's good to get an outside perspective. I mean, you know, there have been days when, uh, you know, I, I would look to my coach and say, you know, this happened today, should I do this later in the week? And when you're the one who's doing it, like, you know, when you have a, a workout that doesn't go very well, being able to like, take a step back and have an outside perspective and say, like, you know, the rest of the season can still go well, or you can still have good performance in a few weeks or, you know, this This one workout doesn't define, you know, the entire year that like having someone that can like knock you out of your head and and say like, you know, you're okay. And having a, an outside perspective is really helpful. And sometimes they just keep us from, keep us from doing too much.
1: Yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, the reason why I brought it on was because I have been powerlifting for four years now, three years now, and then competing for the past, now it's been a year, two years. I don't know, I think two years of competing, but this year hasn't really counted because of Corona. But either way, Mm -hmm. I've been doing the same type of training pretty much the whole entire time. I follow a linear periodization type of training, which pretty much means if this is all for an example, I have a 12-week program that I want to run before a pilot thing meet. I segment it off into four blocks, you know, and then in those Mm -hmm. four blocks, I might have three sets of 10 and then maybe four sets of five. And then four sets of three and then two sets of two or a couple sets of one, you know, to really taper down and and bring up the intensity in the workouts and have them get heavier. And then, you know, hopefully take a week off, kind of recover and then go and and hit heavier weights. But I've been doing that for three or four years now. And I continue to see progress every single meet I've done. I've, I've done better and I've gotten stronger because of it. But I just saw my deadlift really being stagnant and once my deadlift got stagnant and that wasn't really working anymore i was like you know maybe if i got a fresh pair of odds on it it'd be a lot better so yeah i definitely agree and uh he had me doing stuff i've never done before like kettlebell swings and and different things i'm like Dude, i don't want to do it but i'm going to do it because i know it's going to get me stronger but so it'll be really really fun to see how i come back after corona with him and seeing how how he compete. so that'd be really cool but <clears throat> that goes pretty much into my my training i train 100% for powerlifting. Now, before powerlifting, I was training for more endurance, similar to what um one Phil does. But I don't really find that to be fun, and don't really care about it anymore. <laughs> I definitely care about it, and I see why people do it, and I love it. I love every form of fitness, but it just ain't for me. And so, obviously, once I started gearing more towards powerlifting, I started to want to be a lot bigger and compete in a heavier weight class. I'm six foot one on a really good day my wingspan's like 6'3", 6'4", so I'm just disgustingly tall. So if I compete against kids at the 181 or 198 weight class, I'm going to get beat up by, you know, kids who are 5'6", 5'7", and who can bench 400 pounds because their range of motion is a lot lower than mine. So really started to dive into gaining a lot more weight. And I think I've always kind of been fascinated with being bigger anyways, because, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I think it's, a social stigma, or maybe it's just my personality, but I definitely think that I've always wanted to be big, even when I was running. And that's probably why I always kind of maintained a heavier body weight for a runner. I was always around like 180, 190. But that being said, started really trying to gain weight. And I've already kind of talked about what I did wrong in my nutrition last episode, but what I did right and still do right after all of that was is tracking my calories and making sure I was eating a wide variety of food once i really started to try to get bigger that's when i completely cut my supplements out because my girlfriend pretty much said you're allowed to get as as big and as fat as you want as long as you do it healthily and i thought that was you know a decent bargain because at least then i can get as big and fat as i want so started getting into counting my calories like i was supposed to uh figured out a good surplus calories that i could maintain for pretty much ever um obviously the, the calories fluctuate I try to keep them the same uh and then every two weeks i i weigh myself and see kind of where i'm at if i lose weight obviously i need to increase my calories typically i'll increase my calories by 500 calories if i've gained more than one percent of my body weight in that week then i'll take it down by like you know 250 maybe 500 depending on how big of the weight gain it was so from 190 To where I'm at now, which is about 220. That's pretty much what I've done. My calories at first was about 4,500, and that was hard to do for a while because your stomach, I feel like, really has to get trained to expand and eat that kind of food every single day. Because what I've noticed that people will do is they'll eat a lot for about two days, and then they won't eat a lot for the next five days because their body, their body is just holding on to so much food. So you kind of have to train yourself to be able to eat 4,500 or however many calories you have to eat in a day, every day. Uh, So once I got kind of, I would say three, four months into eating what I was supposed to and eating a lot of it, because I mean, if you're eating healthy food, it's tough. You know, you can only eat so much rice, so much chicken, so much red meat. I play a lot with, if it fits your macros, that mentality. Uh, But I definitely believe a lot more in in fruit and vegetables and uh, eating a variety of food. So for me, it was kind of tough eating that much food because 4500 calories of healthy food is a lot of food lots of food Mm -hmm. but i would say six months into doing that my body kind of started getting used to it and as i got stronger it was it was using that as fuel obviously and i don't know it worked really really well and then for the past two years i've put on 30 pounds and it's uh been really nice because my health has been it's probably gotten better everything comes back from the doctors once a year healthily yeah that's pretty much what I do eat a wide variety of food as much as I can, at a reasonable level.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's a reasonable level
1: for me now? Uh, because of, I mean, I would love to see what I have to eat now once I start training again. But for now, it, it, my maintaining is around three thousand because my my metabolism's gone down so much, so I can maintain at three thousand. I haven't really lost that much weight. Plus a couple pounds the past couple days, but. That's all just easy peasy stuff. I can get that back real quick. But I realized once I started training for powerlifting for a long time, not a long time, I mean, four years isn't really a long time, but long enough, my metabolism has started to change because of it, which is really cool because now it's starting to get a little bit slower. It's still high for a normal person, but for me, it's gotten a little bit slower.
0: That's awesome, man. Um, And I just wanted to actually ask you this because it, It invokes a a question or some some thought for me. Um, You said in powerlifting, shorter people are better at lifting because of uh, shorter range of motion. And I just wanted to know if being a shorter person in a higher weight class gives you an advantage. Because I was trying to make a correlation between, like, mixed martial arts and wrestling. Usually people cut a lot of weight to be in a lower weight class. And they want to be the taller, larger fighter in a lower weight class does that kind of flip in terms of powerlifting? Do you want to be the shorter, like heavier person? Like how does that, like, you know what I mean? Like if that's, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, that's a, no, that's a fantastic question.
1: What I'm talking about and you're talking about, no matter how tall or short you are, is all just your leverages. Um, So in the shorter weight class, I think I I mentioned bench and I should have mentioned bench because bench for short people, obviously is going to be a lot easier. You have such a a lower range of motion you go down you go up it's not as as far as mine. My, my If my wingspan is six four and your wingspan is five six you're going to go so much less than i am and therefore your leverages work a lot better because in powerlifting the technical side of it benching you're supposed to you know keep your your chest as big as possible you're supposed to expand as much air as you can really kind of get a, a a back arch a lot of people disagree with that i disagree with people that disagree with that <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> I, I think that you know that's a different different conversation for a different day that we can talk about. Anyways, so you going down and going up, you're not going as far. Deadlifting, there we go. Like my arms are very long, so I should be a good deadlifter. I deadlift with a sumo stance. I try to get my range of motion as low as possible. And with my long arms, I should be a lot better at deadlifting, which is why I hired a coach because I'm like, hey man, this is supposed to be my strong suit, and I suck at it. What's going on? Weight classes wise, you will see guys five one to five four and the one thirty-twos to maybe even start touching the one sixty fives, but from one sixty-five to one ninety-eight, you see guys that are five seven to five ten, maybe, you know, and that's that's kind of what you're playing with. After five eleven, you're kind of touching well, the two twenty have short guys too, and the two forty twos. Those both those you, you kinda get from like I would say five seven to, to five ten. Those those the two twenties and two forty twos are absolute freak of natures. After two forty two though, you're you're seeing guys who are six feet tall and that's it. So
2: yeah. it's interesting that the uh, that this came up in terms of like height in the in the sport of powerlifting. I've heard a lot about how um you know, if you're really tall, you just like you have to go up in weight class because the shorter people, like it's easier for them, and uh, it's funny because that it, there isn't like weight classes, but it's it correlates to running too. Because if you look at the performance of like the top like fifty people in all of the biggest races, they end up being like five six, five five, max like five eight, and uh, you know the people who have set the world record in the marathon going back like the past like. 10 or 15 times it was set there was only like one guy who was six foot so being six feet tall is a disadvantage in both of our sports the
1: guy the guy who just uh set the first powerlifting meet to have a 900 pound deadlift and a 900 pound squat his name is dylan how something he's from australia and he is six seven three hundred and sixty five pounds he was competing super heavyweight and 6'7 and he pretty much he was into into bodybuilding was around 205 pounds and just string beam, obviously and he wanted to get into powerlifting and he was like i can't compete against these guys at 242 who were 5'7 and just built like a marble um i need to start gaining weight dude he gained obviously was that 160 ish pounds yeah. It's a whole and, uh, yeah, just was the first man to ever deadlift and squat 900 pounds in a meet. Jeez, man, that's crazy weight. Yeah, and for him being that tall, his bench was still, like, I think 540-something, so he's still an absolute savage in that, too. Wow. Yeah, he, he's a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, so I guess that leaves me, right, in my in my nutrition and training. Awesome. Um, I just wanted to actually say something, too, uh, before I started. Both Andrew and Phil kind of had different... I guess they didn't say it right outright, but Phil kind of talked more about intuitive eating. And Andrew talked about more like scripted, monitored eating. So it's it's, a, it's cool how you both had kind of like different modes of like nutrition in the same talk. So I, I really enjoyed that. I just wanted to kind of shout that out. For me, I definitely fall more towards the like scripted, uh, monitored eating. I count my calories. I have um, a calorie cap that I have for the day. I try not to go over 2,200 calories. I cut it down a lot because I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight because as you might've heard on our last podcast, um, I definitely was on the, the fuck skinny, get huge diet. <laughs> and and I definitely understand where Andrew's coming from. When I was, it it takes a lot out of you. And when I was trying to gain weight, I would make like a pound of pasta and a pound of ground beef and put it in a big bowl and just eat it for lunch. And that was like one meal. <laughs> yeah, it was really, it was really rough. Yeah, and everyone, all my coworkers used to laugh at me because I used to work at Planet Fitness when I did that. And I'd just literally bring in a salad bowl full of pasta and just eat it throughout. <laughs> so, but now I um, I dropped that down. I'm actually doing the reverse. I'm doing my nutrition first. Um, So I drop my, my calories down. Uh, the way I eat, I make sure that I portion like, Protein, carbohydrates, and I make sure I have a vegetable. Fruits, I try to like drink some fruits throughout the day with like V8 juice or you know, eat like oranges. I try to mix it up a little bit. I also make sure I take a multivitamin. That's that's actually a, a big part. Because I know I, I slack on fruits and that's my biggest downside is I don't eat a lot of fruits like I should. So try to combat that with a multivitamin. So for that, you know, I eat about five times a day, portioned out. Um, I weigh all my food on a food scale. I'm really OCD about that. So <laughs> I have all my Tupperware containers. Usually I meal prep, so I'll make a whole bunch of food at one time, portion it out ahead of time because I'm really busy on most days. For me not to skip eating, which I feel is worse than, I feel like not eating is worse than overeating, in my opinion. I feel like some people try to starve themselves and then that hinders your training sessions, that hinders your sleep schedule. And it's its really hard to to change that mindset and it can and then it can actually get into even worse things which we, that's a talk for later but um it can cause a lot more issues in your health than
1: I yell at my clients. I have all my clients set yeah. up their my fitness pal with my stuff that I put them on and I see yeah. their calories that they track in every single day. And if you eat less <laughs> than a 1000 calories, you get a little message in your inbox and it says what are you, what are you doing buddy? like yeah well, actually that that's dependent right? cuz I I mean I have a client who's 5 foot nothing. So I mean Okay, yeah. If you eat 800 calories, okay. But if you're eating 300 calories, you're getting yelled at.
0: Yeah, it's it's very tough. Like, so I definitely try to make sure that I, I hit my calorie cap but not go over that. Um, I ha- I am I'm a I'm horrible. Like you guys are talking about eating wide varieties of foods. I eat this like legit same thing. I'm a bodybuilder's dream. Like I <laughs> I eat ground turkey, white rice, and Brussels sprouts. And that's like, that is it. I rarely deviate from that. So my breakfast is two eggs. It used to be four eggs, but now it's two eggs. Either a half a cup of oatmeal and Brussels sprouts. And then I put hot sauce on the the eggs, you know, because you can't stop with that red hot. (laughs) And then my three meals after that are some version of ground turkey, rice and and broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Sometimes I throw in green beans. And then dinner is kind of dependent on how I feel that day. It could just be the same thing. I could just eat the same thing four times in a row. Um, Or I might like spice it up and have like a chicken quesadilla or something. But me and Taylor have off, like on Fridays, we have like a date night um, on Tuesday and Friday. And we, and I splurge a little bit. So we'll have like pizza and wings or something. So I deviate from that, but I make sure I know like where I can trim for my calories or how I can adjust my, my caloric intake to match what I'm eating in that day, so I'm just very conscious, and it's it's very rarely that it, it's very rare that it happens, but some days I do intuitively eat. Like today, I just woke up and threw some food in a bowl and ate it, and I was like, "All right, this kind of looks around what I usually eat. This is what I'm gonna have." So that's like as far as how I do my nutrition. I and by the way, I drink a lot of water. I don't know if you guys, I'm assuming, drink tons of water.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm <over> always <laughs> slugging water. That's all I really drink. Although I do drink. We talk about kombucha all the time. Yeah, slugging. Of- Talk, I also drink kombucha and I uh, <laughs> I didn't drink caffeine anymore. man. Like I said, one caffeine pill a day and that keeps my jitters away. <laughs> Actually, one question I have for you guys before we continue around with what you do for your training. Do yeah. you both agree that once you start kind of being conscious about what you eat and maybe not tracking them out, but having a plan that you can start when you do go out on those dates, not date nights, give <laughs> a, an educated guess on what, you're actually eating calorie wise
0: yeah i would say i would say it's it's very simple once you for me it is i can't really speak for the majority but for me it's it's very simple to just like come up with some guesstimation of what the caloric uh, intake would be or how many calories something would be based upon my previous knowledge of what i've i've consumed in my life also having a girlfriend who is a personal trainer as well who's like super good at like knowing that stuff, she always like drops numbers on me. She's like, "Oh, peanut butter is one hundred and twenty-four calories." I'm like, "Shit!" <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I didn't know that. I'm like a teaspoon? All right, never. All right, I get it." But yeah, I'll definitely agree. Once you once you get to that point where you're used to to tracking it, or you have tracked it for a duration of time, I feel it just becomes like riding a bike. Yeah, I don't think you should play with that
1: all the time. You can do it sometimes, and you <laughs> might be you might be off by five hundred calories. You don't know, and that's that's the risk you're playing, but. Yeah. I, I, think, I think you can, you can gastimate, like, yeah, that ice cream with the hot fudge and the uh, whipped cream and the uh, marshmallow sauce with the sprinkles, that was probably, like, 1,500 calories. <laughs> and you were probably right.
2: <laughs> I think with some things, it's much easier to tell than others. Especially when you talk about, like, uh, if you're doing date night at, like, a restaurant, and you, got, you get anything that has a sauce, it's probably got way more butter in it than you, you would ever predict. It's just like the main ingredient of every item at a rest at most restaurants. It's just whatever it is plus butter just makes everything taste better for them. And uh, it's hard to tell like what they made stuff with. And it's also like, I think, I think I couldn't estimate calories on anything I haven't made myself or like don't have the entire ingredients in front of me. But if I look at it and I'm like, that's a good portion or like, that's way more than I need. That's, you know, I'm taking half of that home. You know, it's it's much easier, I think, after focusing on food for a while and trying to, like, understand nutrition.
0: Uh, so that's so true. And uh, I just wanted to, to delve off of that, too, before I go into the, the training portion of my stuff. Phil said the butter sauce. One of the rules I give to any client who I'm doing nutrition coaching for, I tell them rule number one, if you can't read it, don't eat it. If you can't read nutrition facts and you're on a diet and you're trying to make sure you don't you want to gain weight or lose weight, if it doesn't have nutrition facts, don't eat it. Order something that you can like Phil said, you know what the ingredients are or ask them what the ingredients are in there first and then calculate it up yourself. That's that's a big rule of thumb. <laughs> but yeah, as far as training, it's it's kind of my training flows in and out of different different states. It depends on what I'm going for. Some days I want to be a powerlifter, some days I want to be a bodybuilder. Some days I want to be the best soccer athlete known to man. Recently, I kind of been getting in this kick of like watching UFC fights when I run. And then I was watching a lot of their training videos. And I just kind of got hooked on how they train. So I'm like, man, I want to do some high intensity, some kickboxing training, some some plyometric stuff. And I just rolled with it. So my training, my training regimen changes dependent on what I'm doing. Um, or what I'm going for. So the flavor of the week this month is uh, I'm doing like UFC MMA training. I'm not actually training in a gym for that, but I'm doing all the workouts. So I do a lot of like hang cleans, uh, try to do some power cleans. I do infinite pull-ups and push-ups whenever I get the chance. Jump rope has become my number one favorite form of cardio. I'm not going to tell y'all to not run, and I'm not going to lie and say that running is my number one favorite activity to do. But remember, everyone, eat your vegetables and run. Get that cardio health up. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I try to I don't like to run as much as I like to jump rope. So that's my my addition of cardio. Plus, I do high intensity training. And then I can't seem to get myself away from the I always say the big boy lifts. I still love the deadlift. And I still love the bench. And, you know, I don't know if you guys fall victim to this, but I'll have like a program set up. And I'm like, all right, today I'm going to do box jumps, reverse lunges, hip br- glute bridges, 10 sets of jump ropes for 30 seconds. And then, like, in between that, I walk over to the bench and just throw, like, 225 on and do some reps and then, like, walk away. <laughs> 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 I'm like, all right, still got it. <laughs> so that's that's kind of how I train, uh, depending on the day. And I do, like I said, more more high-intensity stuff. And I tend to superset a lot of my exercises. I don't have a lot of time to work out um, like I used to. So I try to condense everything into a uh, shorter time frame. And I'll do three exercises back to back with no rest. So I'll do push-ups, pull-ups, and then walking lunges. And I'll do all those, take a 45-second rest, um, sometimes even less than that, maybe a 30-second rest, and then do another set. That seems to work for me because I'm on a time crunch a lot of the time. Uh, I remember back in my powerlifting days, I would do the... Uh, five by fives or 10 sets of one (laughs) like so I've been it it just depends on how I feel for that week so like I said the flavor this week has just been high intensity lots of body weight stuff and jump rope and I've been helping a client train for soccer so I'm doing soccer drills here and there and I'm getting my cardio in that way too so it's adding up my step count and I'm winning my weekend and my week warrior thing some days. <laughs> some days I'm just terrible because I stream. So it's a mix. I, I'm thinking about going into bodybuilding at one point coming up in the near future. I'm really, I'm really contemplating on doing that. Do you think running is important? Oh, I said I, I said I dislike running. But you, I think you said it was important, right? Oh yeah. I think it's I think running is like the number one most important exercise to do out of all of them. I think cardiovascular health is More important than having large muscles. But are you saying running is the way to get the number one cardiovascular uh, exercise? I think our bodies are made to run, like genetically.
2: Have you (laughs) read that book? There's a book called uh I think it's just called Born to Run. So let me
0: before I start, because
1: I do agree, our bodies Mm -hmm. are made to run. Evolutionarily speaking, that is what our exercise is supposed to be. However, evolutionarily speaking, we are also not supposed to sit at a desk for 12 hours a day and then go home and sit on your couch for another 6. So I think if the general population and a lot of people run,
0: they're going to get hurt. Damn, Andrew's trying to start shit on the podcast already. Like, five <laughs> <laughs> in <I'm> so soon.
2: <laughs> so, do you do you want to talk about this now or you said you might want to talk about it on our on our debate cast?
1: I think we can talk about it now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um,
2: (laughs)
0: It's
1: it's obviously me versus a runner and someone who who thinks running is important. Not that I don't think running is important because I think running is important if you're training for running. But I think that's the difference for me right there. If you're not training for running, I don't have you run. I have X amount of clients and all of them don't run.
2: (laughs) So the way that I would put it, uh, I've run, I, I always have to count every time. Let's just say I've run about eight marathons. I've done uh, Ironman triathlons, which have a marathon at the end of them after biking 100 miles. I'm someone who you know definitely can run and definitely uh, is a fan of running. And the way that I would put it for most people, like almost everyone, you know, if someone comes to me as a client and they're like, should I run? Uh, I would not say yes, definitively. Uh, I think that running is a great activity and because it's so popular in the culture, it's a great way to like find community. Uh, you know, it's it's harder to find like a walking club than it is a running club. You know, there aren't uh, like races where people are race walking and, you know, it's whenever you get into like uh, something like running, it's, it's easier to find uh, other people to do it with than it is, you know. Uh, something like, like just walking. In terms of like what what would I recommend people do, uh, you know, to help their cardiovascular health? Uh, there are recommended guidelines that just talk about, uh, you know, in quotes, like moderate or you know higher intensity uh, or lower intensity cardio activity. And as long as someone is doing something that you know meets or is like attempting to meet those recommendations. I would say it's fine. I in terms of the question of like should people run? I don't think anyone has to run if if the running was obliterated and you know everyone started like going for, you know, a 45 minute walk every day or people started cycling a lot more or rollerblading, you know, it's even as a runner, I don't think that there's anything like inherently special about it. In terms of like the actual act of running, uh, you know, I've read about how, you know, evolutionarily we're designed better for running even than deer when it comes to long distance. Uh, But I wouldn't say that, you know, anyone who was completely sedentary and hasn't worked out in years and spends, you know, 12 hours a day in the office on the chair and six hours a day on the couch at home should like run a marathon in six weeks. You know, if someone want, if someone came to me and said, you know, I haven't ran in years and I want to run a marathon, I'd be like, all right, let's get ready to do that a year from now. You know, when it comes to anything, I think any person, no matter where they're starting, can get anywhere in terms of like completing something. You know, if the question is like, could they run a marathon in two and a half hours? I don't know about that. But could they finish it? Yeah. But if someone is coming from a place of much less training with running, you know, they might not even start running. They might start, you know, let's start walking five minutes a day, then 10 minutes. Three weeks later, they're walking half an hour a day. And then maybe three weeks after that, they're, you know, walk 10 minutes, run 10 minutes, walk 10 minutes, or maybe like, you know, one minute on, one minute off. But, you know, in terms of like, does anyone have to run? No, I, even as a runner, I would say that there's nothing really special about it. But I would say the same thing for uh, like squat bench deadlift in resistance training. That, you know, if someone said, you know, barbells are special, I wouldn't say that they are. You could be using dumbbells. You could be using machines. As long as you're doing the act of cardio when it comes to running, you could be walking or rollerblading. As long as you're doing resistance training when it comes to lifting weights, you know, you could be doing body weight training you could be using dumbbells or kettlebells trx you could be doing you know anything as long as you're doing the right you're working your body the right way the exact way you do it doesn't matter
1: i almost really really disagreed (laughs) with you but then i but then you kept going because you were like well there's nothing special with squat bench and deadlift I disagree because we're both but then you said resistance exercises. You could use dumbbells, you could use TRX, and that, yeah. I think all of us can agree that resistance exercise is definitely the champ of everything.
0: That's funny. It's real tough for me on the on the aspect because I definitely agree with like what Phil said. Like you really don't need to to run. I just personally think running is the best thing to go for because it's the takes the least amount of like equipment. You know, if you wanna If you want to run, like, I could tell person A and person B, like, go outside, walk, and, you know, do a program. They might be at drastically different stages, and they might end up at a different result. One person might get to running a mile. One person might get to jogging half a mile. But in terms of other cardio, it's not like, hey, you got to get an elliptical or you need to get a jump rope. Like, you need to have these things. Like, you got to find a swimming pool. You you have to... You know, it's, it's easy to just be like, get some shoes, go outside anywhere, stay six feet apart and walk <laughs> like, or stay six feet apart and run. Like as long as you're doing some activity to keep your heart healthy, um, that is really all that I care about. I always say run. And what I kind of mean is like jog, like just do something to get your body active. And it's just the free, it's, it's the freest exercise. So that's kind of where I, that's, that's my position on it. Like, I don't, I don't think it's the best thing you can do. Like I think it's the best thing you can do if you're in a in any form of sport. Like you just it's a necessity. You need to run. You need to figure it out. Um, But if you're just looking for general health, trying to keep your body and your heart healthy, that that I think is is can be anything really.
1: You you said it flat out, and then Phil kind of said it when he said that running kind of brings forth a community that a lot of other exercises can't. I mean, people always kind of gather around the bench press and. Powerlifting obviously has a community too, but running is, like you said, the most free, most inclusive exercise you can do because you can just put on a pair of shoes, go run down the street, and then after doing that for a couple years, you're probably going to know a couple other people that just run down the street too. And then they're like, hey, we like running down the street, let's go run down the street together, and it's fun. And so I do like running for that, but I think I just happened to get so lucky to find another community that says no running (laughs) but but no i do i love runners i love runners i wouldn't prefer to train runners because i just i don't think i would be able to give them the best quality service that they need i would send them to phil but i like runners i like i like i like them we got way off topic of what we were supposed to originally talk about with the top three here but this is this this is a funny rant and a uh, segue into some other stuff another thing we can all talk about because i think we all have experience with it is how we recover and what we do when we're sick and how you train when sick because i know for me from a powerlifting standpoint if i have a meat that I'm training for, if, I mean, if I'm really sick, really like I'm throwing up, I can't, I can't, you know, get to the gym, then I'm not gonna go, but I'm gonna try pretty hard to go to the gym and still get my workouts done because I have a competition that I'm training for. If it's just the general me going to the gym to maintain because I'm waiting for, you know, the, you know, I have two weeks until I start my meet or maybe I have a month off after a meet to kind of let my body recover and I'm sick that day, I'm, I'm probably not gonna go just because I don't want to. Now with COVID, I definitely wouldn't go. But I think there's different different varying factors of why you should train when sick if you're training for a competition and why you shouldn't train for a competition when you're sick. And then overall general health, I, you know, training for nothing really, just general health. If you're sick, I don't necessarily believe you should train. I mean, depends on how sick. And I think that's when people start getting a little fishy because then people get sick but it's not really sick you got the sniffles you know and i think you should still go train if you got the sniffles but if you got you know real real and headache and you know your sciences are blown up then you know, just take a couple days off it's going to make you feel better and then you're going to recover faster from the illness and yeah that's my two cents on
0: that for right now i'll let you guys go in a little bit i mean as far as as training while sick i if i'm not feeling honestly the gym to me has always been a place of meditation and solitude, where I can go and like clear my head, clear my thoughts. Um, if I'm training for a specific thing, it's it's still really hard. When I'm sick, I I know my body's already fighting on one front, and I feel like fighting on a secondary front will cause cause me to either feel a lot worse. So I kind of just tend to do some smaller smaller like at home exercises. I'll do you know some squats at my house maybe do a little bit of like walks around the block or something try to like get my body temperature up i believe that kind of helps you fight off like infections and and stuff like that but if i'm if i'm really sick and that's the other thing my immune system's pretty savage so if something beats my immune system then then i it got, i got bested and i'm not moving the last time i was sick I was bedridden for a day and a half. I just couldn't move. I'm like, yep, this is it. Like, this is where it ends for me. But yeah, I I tend to not train when I'm sick. And I always say like, you know, take precautions. If you think you have the flu, don't go to the gym and spread that to other people. Uh, If you have like a headache or something that's manageable, um, you know, try to, I guess, push through it a little bit. The whole, in that situation, the no pain, no gain terms actually has some value, like if you have a little bit of a headache, like Andrew said, or you're kind of feeling a little achy, and it's it's not crazy sore, yeah, go you can go to the gym um, and kind of push through it. Uh, just keep your dedication up. But for me personally, if I'm sick, I, I tend to stay home.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's two questions that all my clients know me for pretty much asking. Not on a regular basis, but pretty much on a regular basis. The first one is, when are your workouts uh, ending? And then the second question is, on a scale from 1 to 10, how, how did that feel? So if you're sick on like a 3, put a face mask on and go to the gym. If you're at like a 5 and up, then maybe, yeah, take take that day off, you know, because you don't you don't need to get other people sick. And then you also don't need to, like the onset fight on both fronts, put yourself through physical stress and then also an immune health stress as well it's just not going to make you feel better and then it'll probably end up making you feel like shit for you know like the answer getting your body temperature up might help alleviate some symptoms quicker i don't know but i definitely think going out and doing max singles for 90 percent of your max probably isn't gonna make you feel a lot better
2: the way that i think about that is uh you know we've been using the term sick and it's such a broad term that like if like you were saying you know someone could have just like A little bit of a runny nose, and like, oh, I can't work out at all today. I got to stay in bed and eat chips because, you know, every time I I breathe in my nose, it makes a little bit of a noise. And on the other end of that, you know, some people are probably still working out when they're way too sick. I think uh, the first line that I would draw is like, if if you go to a gym, and these days, you know, that's a completely different thing to worry about, but even outside of the whole, uh, you know, virus situation, Uh, If you go to a gym where other people will touch the equipment uh, and you have a sickness that could spread to them and you don't know whether or not you're contagious, then maybe you should stay home. If we're talking about something like running uh, where it's, or, you know, maybe you have your own home gym, then the way I would put it is, uh, you know, what do you think you could do? You know, like Dion was saying that he had a sickness where he was bedridden for a day and a half. And if you're, if you're like, I can barely get out of bed to, like, go brush my teeth at all. Or, like, you know, I didn't even change today because I could barely get out of bed. Then, yeah, you're too sick to work out, probably. But if you're, like, just kind of sick and you think, you know, if I go in and do that workout that's, what did you say, like, max singles 90% of your one rep max, like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be going for a specific difficult sort of thing like that, you know. Like, if it comes to... Uh, lifting, and you're working with percentages of a max. Then you're probably not going to be able to hit uh, the same percentages because you're having a bad day. And this sort of thing happens even when people aren't sick. You know, performance fluctuates, and your your max uh, on any given day isn't the same as the last time you tested it. But especially when you're sick, you know, if if your best bench ever is like two seventy five. That doesn't mean every day you go in, you could do 275, so 80% is really 80%. Maybe if you go in one day, you, maybe you could do 265, but then 80% of 275 is much closer to 265 than 275. And if you're sick, maybe you could only do like 205, and if you try to go for that percent of 275, then you're just going to fail and feel real bad. So how I would put it in this in terms of running too, like if you're someone who could run like a max, you know, for say you got got to run like five miles and the max pace you could probably run for that is like 730 per mile. You know, maybe you wouldn't go for that max pace. You'd say like, all right, like maybe if I could do 730, maybe I would go for eight. But if you're sick, maybe that eight minute pace is going to turn into like a nine minute pace. So what I would say is if you're like moderately sick, like if you're at that, like, even if it's like three out of 10, like sickness wise, like four, maybe five out of 10, like, see what you can do and give yourself some slack. If it comes to running, like, you know, if you've got a hard workout to do, probably just don't do it. You know, if you were supposed to do some sort of fast run or, you know, timed things based on other paces or paces based off of PRs, like, maybe just, you know, chalk it up to I'm sick and take an easy run. And if you've got an easy run, count it as easy. You know, maybe your normal easy runs are like 830 pace. And today you're going 10 minute pace. And don't get home and say like, oh, man, I went so much slower than normal. Maybe you're supposed to like, lift at a certain percentage. And you just say like, all right, let me just knock off, you know, 10 or 15% from that. Like, you know, you should know like, what you're what you're going for on a relative sense too you know if you're only basing everything on uh comparisons to your prs or you know percentages of your prs for like paces or pounds on a bar then you know those days you're not feeling well you're gonna be working too hard so you gotta think like you know what should today feel like you know what does an easy run feel like you know what should these like you know five, what should this five by five feel like? You know, what what should these sets of eight feel like? And if you like put the weight on there and it starts to feel too heavy and you got to take some weight off, just, you know, it could just mean you're sick having an off day. But I think that still working out is, is not always a bad thing. You don't want to get other people sick. So that's something you got to watch out for. But as long as you, you know, bring down the intensity and you're not like overworking yourself if you have one of those like moderate sicknesses, then, uh, then you're probably still okay. You're probably not like hurting yourself. But then again, you know, if you take the day off because you feel sick and you're not taking like the week off or the month off, that's fine too.
0: I agree with everything that Phil says. Phil, dropping knowledge once again on the podcast. Yeah. So then that leads into recovery techniques. I wanted to kind of start this off because I my scope of recovery is larger than what I think like the gym is. I personally have a, I have it listed in my Google Drive as my recovery team or my health team. So I have a chiropractor who I go to uh, for adjustments because I know playing sports has caused me a lot of issues with my plant leg, stopping, going, jumping. Um, So I have a lot of imbalances in my structure. I have a massage therapist that I go to. And I also have recently just talked to and set up an appointment with a therapist and this could be something we can talk about, like with the competition mindset. So um, I just I was thinking that people tend to not have a team that they have based around them. And I really wanted to um, get the therapist because I know some days you have bad workouts. Some days you doubt yourself. And that can change how your, your workouts go, how your lifts go, how your diet go. And if you have someone you can talk to, maybe they can give you some strategies for your mental health, which is just as important as your physical health you can kind of battle everything and be in a, a cohesive unit. And I feel like that was something that was lacking from my recovery game because I do a lot of this, you know, the simple stuff like PNF stretching, um, foam rolling, you know, things while I'm training. But I think there's a lot of things you can do also outside of the gym. Like I said, that, that can help your your fitness, help your lifts. For me, I noticed that I was struggling because I'm a, a competitive gamer so I would sit for long periods of time and that hindered my like hamstrings, my quads, because, you know, they would be lengthened or shortened depending on how I'm sitting. So I would have to train them differently. And then I was noticing that I was a lot tighter, a lot sore than I usually am. So I, I think that people need to to think outside the box a little bit with recovery. Um, I just wanted to kind of open up that that bracket before we we went in. So how do you guys feel about that? <laughs> Let me let me go step by step with that
1: one because that was great. That was awesome. I've been to a chiropractor before. I think they're great. That's. I'll leave that one at that. Uh, the massage therapy I think a lot more people could go to because so many people have so much tightness and just these muscle imbalances that going to a massage, maybe once or twice a month, can really help those issues. A chiropractor, in my mind, I went to when it was probably a month after I was I was done. From my recovery and I was from my back injury which I was for about nine months a month after that I went to a chiropractor and I went to him and I just was
0: like you know just help me out and he did and I thought it was awesome
1: sports therapy guy or is it just a therapist
0: um so when I when I originally contacted the company I gave them a list of like everything that I did I said hey I'm a competitive gamer I have this level of stress I own my own business I play sports I'm an active person in training and in fitness. Um, I have a lot of stress based upon my image and how I look, you know, as a personal trainer. Because you know what they say, you got to look the part. So a lot of people, you know, trainers have that that outside stress on them, I feel. Like, if I don't look like I'm fit, I'm not going to get clients. If I don't look a certain way, no one's going to want to talk to me. You know, you could feel like you're the smartest person in the room, but... I feel the image of a trainer gets, gets kind of glorified, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you want your trainer to be athletic or in shape, you know, you don't want your trainer to be out of shape, but you definitely want a trainer who's knowledgeable. And sometimes that gets swept under the rug because somebody looks really good, but they might not have the knowledge that, that a well-seasoned trainer would have. Um, so I just kind of dropped all that knowledge on them. I was like, hey, like these are what I'm looking for. This is the issues that I think I have. Like I need some, some strategies to help me, you know, maybe like stress coping or stress management or um, anger management, things like that to help me become a better person. So like that's what I sent to them. And that's kind of – so it's, they sent me a person that they thought I would mesh well with.
1: That's awesome i think therapy is great i think everyone could go to therapy i don't think everyone needs therapy necessarily necessarily but i've been to therapy i don't go now but i've been to therapy i think it's fantastic i think your mental health is more important than your physical health because if i got hit by a car tomorrow and i lost my ability to walk but i was still able to have my mind and function as a because per- even then I'm, i can still be a personal trainer in wheelchair you know, I can still do whatever. But if I had the same accident happen to me and I had a traumatic brain injury and I completely lost my ability to use my mind like that to me is awful. Obviously not comparing a TBI <laughs> to therapy, but, you know, with uh, I feel mental health coming up now over the past couple of years and kind of gaining a little bit of light. I think that therapy is one thing that not a lot of people talk about and are starting to maybe talk about and get more therapy. And if you want to think we're all lame for talking about therapy right now, I already have your view, and I don't need your listen, so see you later. <laughs> and yeah, I do, I think that's great. Phil, have you ever gone to therapy before?
2: Yeah, I actually, uh, I I do now, and uh, I only started within the past year. Uh, it's, it's something that um, for a long time, uh, I probably wasn't going because of the stigma, and then for a long time after that, I wasn't doing it because of the uh, the cost, and that's something that you know it's an important thing that I think more people should have access to, but it's it's expensive. And I think that you know if we're talking about in terms of like personally, I mean, you know, every person has stress coming from all sides, you know, from like job stressors and you know other life stresses, and you know people probably have more things pent up from their past than they'd care to admit. And therapy is is a good thing. And I think that it's it's good to have conversations about it. You know, even if we're like talking about fitness one minute and therapy the next, it's it's something that I think these days is much less stigmatized than it was even just like five or 10 years ago. That, you know, if, if we start talking and we're like, oh, yeah, I go to therapy, you know, I went, but I don't go now or anything like that. Like n- no one's judging each other. But I feel like 15 years ago when I was in high school, if I said I was going to therapy to one of my friends, they'd be like, "Oh my god!" Like they'd they'd freak out. And you know that's why a lot of people didn't go to therapy because they didn't want that judgment. I think everyone could go. I don't think everyone has to go, but I think a lot more people would benefit from it than than they even realize. Yeah, and
1: they're willing to admit, and I completely agree. So if this episode mm-hmm. teaches you anything, it's that three personal trainers all use personal trainers and mm-hmm. all go to therapy, which. <laughs> dude, it doesn't matter who you are, you never know like who you're truly talking to until you sit down and have a conversation with them. So, I think that's that was an important thing to bring up because I mean, I'm going to dive into a little bit of what I do with the gym and out of the gym to recover, other than obviously the massage stuff. I think that's great, but I thought that was a really awesome point that you brought in because, dude, therapy, no matter how bad of a sh- bad of shape or in good of shape you're in, will probably benefit you at at some point it's an awesome awesome thing to to get into that being said what did you say
0: i said right i just want to open up the door a little bit you know
1: (laughs) yeah for sure yeah i'm happy i'm happy you brought that up that was a good that's a good point um gym wise i think foam rolling is awesome i get all my clients to foam roll well i tell all my clients to foam roll whether they do it or not i don't really know but I foam roll. That's what I attribute to my back feeling the way it does after blowing it out so many times.
0: Andrew, can I actually uh, interject on that too? And can you, I was just thinking it would help the listeners. Uh, Can you explain what foam rolling is before? As soon as
1: you, as soon as you say, can I interject? I knew that's exactly what (laughs) you were going to say because I just, I just was talking to you. I wasn't talking to real people. It's really funny. Uh, So for everyone who does not know what foam rolling is, uh, basically you can take anything you want. You can take, A tennis ball a baseball a lacrosse ball there are actual foam rolling sticks that you can go buy at walmart they just they look like a like uh almost a pair of nunchucks that you glue together and then put a bunch of roller blades on them and that's what the foam rolling stick looks like and then there's a foam roller which looks like a uh rolling pin but a lot bigger and then you can just either put your legs on that or you can roll out your your arms or your lats your back and that pretty much does what massages what massages will do, but at your home. And so it hurts. It doesn't feel that great. I'm not gonna lie to anyone out there that's listening. Foam rolling does not feel that awesome sometimes, but it works very well at breaking up knots. It works really well at alleviating tension, at correcting muscle imbalances. So I think that's one thing that I really enjoy a lot. Another thing I think a lot of people sleep on <laughs> is sleep. If you don't sleep, you're not gonna feel good. Phil brought that point up last podcast with the people losing weight. If you sleep a lot and you don't sleep a lot, you're still going to lose the same amount of weight, the amount of fat compared to muscle you lose is is very important for body composition, the way you look, you know, and the way you feel because you can have a 275 pound man and another 275 pound man, both being six feet tall and look a hundred percent different because their body compositions are different. So I think sleep is very important. Foam rolling is very important, important stretching i don't do that often i do stretch sometimes i'll stretch out my hamstrings but i think stretching can be in my opinion sport specific from a powerlifting standpoint i don't need to get so flexible that me entering which i call the hole of the squat the deepest point of your squat i don't think i need to be flexible enough to go so far past that point that i'm now starting to jeopardize my squat form i think there's sport specific flexibility that you need to think about when you are an athlete or not an athlete. Me, I get tight hamstrings, tight glute, tight low back. Phil, disagree with me if you want to, but you probably get tight ham or, uh, hip flexors in quads definitely get more tight maybe. But I don't know. I think that stretching is sport specific, but everyone can do foam rolling and everyone can sleep. And then uh, nutrition obviously helps your recovery as well, but we already talked about nutrition. So yeah, that's pretty much what I do. That's the only thing I really do.
2: I'll, I'll start with uh, the things that uh, I completely agree with that you guys have said. So uh, the most important thing you can do for, for your body is to facilitate it doing its own recovery. So one of the things that uh, uh, when you said sleep, uh, you know, getting inadequate sleep is a very studied concept. But a little less studied than that in terms of you know when they when they go to do uh, you know these sleep studies, it's it's actually harder for them to find people who will who will do this this type of research because they have less time uh, is extended sleep. So you know if you're getting four hours a night, we know that's a bad thing. Uh, but there's all the research that comes out when they compare people getting four to eight to like 12, They find that everything just always gets better, that if you're trying to recover from something, more sleep will always help more. And the problem with that is, you know, going to bed early, not always easy. Sleeping in, people usually got stuff to do. But uh, the thing that I think that emphasizes is that sleep is so important that not getting enough is uh, problematic. But if you want to really try to get your recovery on point, you know, you got to, you know, really hard workout, you know, you know, you got someone tomorrow, like put yourself to bed early. You know, if you sleep poorly before like a competition, like powerlifting meet or race, you know, it's going to affect you. If not physically, definitely mentally. Uh, in terms of stretching, I think that your point about stretching being sport specific is really true. Uh, you know, um, when I go for a run, I used to stretch the, the amount that I've stretched has gone down every year that i've been a runner uh and that's not because i think that there's anything wrong with stretching uh but i think that um it just seemed like something that like track and cross country coaches did to fill time back when i was in school in like 2009 we'd have a two-hour practice that was filled with like 20 minutes of stretching in the beginning and 20 minutes at the end where it was just like one hour of running it's like couldn't we have gone home earlier Uh, you know we spent so much time stretching back then I never really have that many things that you know I wouldn't say I'm like tight much anywhere in terms of like uh, having problems uh, you know from what I do I don't I don't like purposely stretch anything I don't think that anyone needs to stretch outside of what they're doing so when it comes to like you were saying powerlifting like you know when you when you're warming up you know, you do, uh, you, know, you know, you got squats today. You're not going to uh, just like start with your heaviest set of the day. You're going to start by, you know, maybe you do a couple of unweighted squats. Maybe you start with the bar. Maybe you work up, you know, a plate at a time or 50 pounds at a time or something. And, you know, that movement, you know, once you're, while you're warming up, that's stretching. I mean, you know, you're stretching through the range of motion that you need. You know, you're a power lifter. So you go through, you know, just about parallel, a little bit under, you know, the, the competition depth that you're supposed to go to, but you're not a Olympic weightlifter. So you're not going all the way to the bottom, you know, into the hole, like you were saying, because you don't have to, like you were saying, sports specific. So if you were an Olympic weightlifter, you would need to focus a little bit more on getting yourself into that position. But my recommendation, if someone said, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do Olympic weightlifting, but I can't squat all the way down. I wouldn't say, you know, go and do all these like 10, 20 different things. I'd say you should be spending more time squatting, you know, like support yourself, try to get to as low of a squat as you can, you know, hold on to something, stay down there for minutes at a time. You know, the thing that gets you better at the thing you want to do is usually more of that thing. You know, if you want to help your squat range of motion, you should be, you know, sitting at the bottom of a squat until it gets even lower than you thought you could go. If someone said, I'm a runner, do I need to stretch? I'd say, you know, what do you want to get out of it? You know, if it, and then if that person said, like, you know, I got really tight calves or hamstrings or something, then I'd say, yeah, maybe you want to. I would recommend like a dynamic sort of stretching routine, uh, you know, over that kind of like, uh, sit on the ground and like just reach for your toes and do nothing but that for 30 seconds. I think that uh, dynamic stretching, uh, the kind that I used to do before I took this out was, you know, if you do like leg swings and stuff, that's really good for for running because you're like, you're giving yourself a little warm up, you're moving through the same range of motion, you're moving while you're doing it. Uh, my hot take, though, is that I don't think massage or chiropractors do very much to like help people recover, uh, what I think that those things do is they they feel nice, uh, and when they don't feel nice, they have that uh, that idea behind them. You know, someone says that you know you got to go to a chiropractor; they're going to help you out. And I would say that as well about um, about foam rolling. And I would never tell anyone that like they're wrong for doing it or it's bad. But if someone said, you know, should I foam roll? I'd say you don't have to. Uh, you know, I've I've seen some of the the research on that, and if if you want me to come back next time, since I'm the uh, the odd one out with uh with the papers and with the research on you know why I think this way, then I could uh I could do a little bit more of the research and have it that ready. That one will start the uh,
0: club podcast. Uh, I want receipts. I want sure. receipts. Yeah, for... I want all of them.
1: <laughs> I'll
2: bring them. Yeah. Uh, you know, next time if y'all yeah, want. Yeah,
1: that that one's gonna start the uh the that that episode, that future episode of. <laughs> Because that's interesting, just because I, I don't greatly disagree, but I disagree with some of what you said. Although I do not disagree with the placebo effect, that one I definitely agree with. But one thing that I do do that I think you both would laugh about, and which can start off the competition mindset talk, is drinking beer before a competition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hold up. <laughs> but, how,
2: how many
0: competitions I had? I believe two beers
2: that day or the night before.
0: That day, that like, day. right like before <laughs> you stepped in the event, <laughs> or like, like um, how, how soon <laughs> are we like how are we talking? Did you like take take two shots and say, all right, let's let's lift this up like smelling salts? Like
2: <laughs> the <laughs> one
1: was at lunch. I had I believe two or three. That was my first competition ever. I got Indian food with my my girlfriend, my buddy, and my mom. All got Indian food. Went there, ate, had two or three beers. I, like and they were IPA, so they they weren't like I wasn't drinking like a like a Bud Light. I was drinking two or three real beers, and then yeah, I went and competed. And <laughs> I'm not saying you should. Do, and then the other one, I think it was just it was just one. Uh, the one was for nerves. The three, <laughs> I think it was more. Just, I was so nervous about going up and and compete my first time. I think it was more of a nerves thing. And I've also read that before any heavy central nervous system taxing lift uh it is actually nice i've heard of like uh what's it called whiskey and deadlifts that's something people will do shots of whiskey before their deadlifts um so there is actually in this this would i can come back on the on the debate club too and uh, I there resets. are there are some there are some research behind alcohol and and heavy heavy lifting um, and I, I will come back. I, with I
2: it. would love to see uh, that. I would come back sure. with it. I, I, <laughs> I know you
1: do. I don't know. That's funny. That's <laughs> fu- I'm just surprised. So, <laughs> so competition mindset. You know, getting drunk before competition. You know, well, uh, obviously we all come from different backgrounds. So I wouldn't do that before a marathon, nor would I do that before a soccer. Actually, I've seen, but you see people at AFrams go out and have a couple beers and go play the game.
0: You know, and but not Wor- competitive, not competitively play Bro, soccer. The worst I game. I tore my hamstring the day I got drunk and played soccer. I'm never doing that. Oh, no. I don't even know if that's real or if it's like. thing, but it was the worst game I ever played in. My oh life. no,
1: that sucks. I won't do that again though. Now that I've gotten the uh, the couple, you know, the couple under my belt, I'm not going to continue to drink before lifting. And I'm not going to really be drinking at all, hopefully. But uh, special occasions made. But yeah, drinking is bad. That's actually one thing I wanted to bring up, and real quick. Scott, side note, you said if you can't read it, you can't eat it, and if it doesn't have nutrition facts, you can't eat it. I think some people are probably like, wait a minute, everything has nutrition facts. What's the one thing that's does not have nutrition facts on it? Beer. Alcohol. Yeah, yeah, buddy. If it doesn't have nutrition facts, you probably shouldn't take it if you're on a diet, <laughs> so you shouldn't be drinking booze. So the people who thought Dion was dumb there, he's not.
0: Thank you for yeah. saving me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I got you.
0: So oh, yeah, that. Okay.
1: That being said, how do you think a competition mindset will change your thought and mentality on training? Uh, I mean,
0: Uh, for me, when it comes to competition mindset, I'm very like logical and I always get told I don't have empathy or compassion. So like when I'm sitting there thinking, I'm always just like thinking of the best way to do something regardless, no matter what, like how, how can I achieve my goal the best? and in the best way. So that's why I was always told like I'd probably be a good bodybuilder because I'm very like cold and calculated. Competition mindset, it, it kind of falls in line with how bad do you want it? I've always said that. Like, how bad do you want it? You hear that in a lot of like motivational talks, um, people, you know, your YouTube videos, like how bad do you want it? How bad do you need this? And I even use that sometimes too, because that's hella motivating. Like, how bad do you want this right now? But everybody has that that voice in their head that says, "All right, I'm going to stop doing this, or I'm going to give up, or I'm going to not run this extra mile, or uh, you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier, like uh, I feel a little tired today. I think I might be sick. I'm, I'm not going to go to the gym. I'm not going to. I'm not going to get this extra workout in. And it really sets you apart from. I want to say from other people. It really sets you apart from the goals that you desire and the goals that you need. Sometimes you need to just be in a general health." situation and you give yourself this i'm going to be the number one track athlete in in the u.s you you hyper try to hyper achieve your goals and you you don't get them um but then sometimes you have to have that mindset like i'm going to be the best at this or i'm going to do this and that gets you out of bed that gets you moving that gets you working and that's kind of where i would say my personal position on training has benefited me and my competition mindset because i think somebody else in the world is working harder than me and the moment that i stop working that hard they're gonna best me like i'm gonna miss my m m one shot you know i'm not gonna hit my eight mile rap. i'm gonna i'm gonna miss my shot as a trainer or something i'm gonna be like all right man i i failed that that hundredth push up my my instagram followers aren't gonna be like dang you suck <laughs> so i i think that kind of gives me the drive to to work out harder to push myself and to keep myself accountable. And I guess at the end of it, having a competition mindset will give you the underlying accountability that you might not have. And I feel us as trainers, and I, I guess I can only really speak for myself, me as a trainer when I uh, transfers to my clients and how that correlates with my, my clients is that I treat them as my team. So I always say when you when we start training with me, like, hey, we're a team, we're teammates, we're working for the same goal, we're gonna get the same goal. And I will push them more than that than they thought they could push themselves. And that just comes from I'll wake up and be like, Hey, did you do your squats this morning? Like I told you. They're like, No, nah, I don't feel good. I'm like, nah, that's not good enough. Let's get it. And then usually you get the message back like, Oh, I didn't know I needed that. I I could do that. Or I always say it's the the extra two reps as a trainer. I want to ask you guys this so after I'm done. Um, how many reps do you tell your client to do extra you, once they once you give them a number? Like I always tell my clients like, hey, you have 10 reps. And then the weight looks a little easy for them. I'm like, all right, three more. And then I'm like, all right, one more. And I'm like, okay, you, you definitely said you could only do 15 pounds for a front squat with a dumbbell. Not, I know you can do 25. five. Let's like Let's up the weight. So I feel like having that type of mindset, trying to drive and push for something better or compete can help you – Um, understand the limits of you and the people around you. So I definitely say it it transitions really well to being a trainer. And I feel most trainers have that type of mindset. The, I want to do better. I want to get more.
1: Yeah. Seeing plates on a bar can get really intimidating no matter who you are. Because if you, like the first time I hit four or five in the gym, um, no spotters, I was like, technically I should hit this because my program says I should. So you either hit it or you die. So obviously it wasn't that bad because I had safeties and I wasn't being an idiot, but, um, hit it. But the mental barrier of having four plates on each side, I was like, boy, this is getting, this is getting kind of heavy. And, you know, for people who are even stronger than that, getting five, six, seven, eight plates, you know, you, when you see weight on the bar like that, you, there's a, there's a little part of you that says, am I really going to be able to pick this up? And, you know, going into like a, a competitive side of that, you know, going from kind of what you said, Phil, with warming up for heavy singles. Um, I don't like doing a lot of, and I don't want to call it volume before a powerlifting meet, but I don't like doing a lot of warming up. I won't put, I won't warm up with the bar and then put 135 on and do a set of 10. And then I won't do 225 for a set of five and then 315 for a set of whatever. For let's say my squat, which is my best lift so far, I would hit the bar for a set of 10 to 12 and it wouldn't be so much of a set it would be more of me going through the range of motion and feeling what my squat was supposed to feel like after that i would put 135 on hit it for one i would hit 185 for one and then i would hit 275 for one and then i'd go and compete and i'd hit 365 for one and then i hit my 405 i don't know how traditional or not traditional that is. But then going into the bench, you know, same thing, hit the hit the bar and feel like what a bench is supposed to feel like for 10 or 12. And then I'd hit 135 for one, 185 for one, 225 for one. And then I was competing. Um, So the whole entire day, realistically speaking, I probably only did 40, 50 reps. But my body was obviously taxed. But when it comes to that kind of sport, you can do that because a lot of lifting is muscle memory. I know you have to warm up for a sport, but at that point, my body already knows I should be able to do that. My mind already knows I should be able to do that. If I look at 405 on the bar and I get afraid of it, then my training either wasn't written well enough or I'm not mentally prepared, but my body's going to be able to hold 405 pounds on my back because the whole entire 20 weeks of me programming told me I could. I never hit a rep and I never missed a rep in training. So why should I miss it now? Getting kind of into a tangent there, Phil. What do you think about like running-wise, signing up for a competition compared to just running? How your mindset goes into training?
2: Uh, there, there are so many different ways that the quote-unquote, the like that competition mindset or like the competitive mindset uh, can come in with running. Because like when I think competition, I think like in the race, like and you know it at various distances, it can mean a completely different thing. You know, if you're trying to run, uh, you know, a a mile, a half mile, five k, ten k, there's a point to which like you're going fast enough that it's not about the uh, the distance; it's about the speed. You know, it's about the speed at the distance. But like, if you're running a mile or a five k, uh, then you got to think like you know you're running pretty quick relatively for yourself. Uh, you know, as someone who runs a marathon, but like. At at a marathon, you know, most of the race is spent going a speed that feels easy until it doesn't. And that feeling when you're, like, two miles from the end of a marathon is completely different than that feeling when you're two laps uh, on the track from the end of a 5K or, like, half a mile from the end of a 5K. You know, that, you know, like, I've got to keep going fast versus, like, I've got to keep going (laughs) feeling is completely different. You know, like saying like, you know, okay, I've got this like, you know, this fast pace I'm trying to hold versus like, you know, I've got this, this pace I'm trying to hold and not start walking is, you know, it's completely different beast running long distances that are like longer and longer. Uh, when I think about like the competition mindset in a marathon, you know, the, the phrase like mind over body has been said before. And at a certain point, you know, your your mind could lose and maybe you could have pushed yourself a little bit more and maybe you could have gone a little faster. And I've had I've had my, like, my mind lose and, like, not being able to push myself in shorter races. But in longer races, it's always that my body is the thing that gives out. That, like, if I've paced it correctly and my, you know, my mind, I'm pushing myself, like, you know, I'm doing everything I can it'll be to the point where like i'm my bo- my mind is telling myself my my legs you got to keep running and they're like both sides and all of the muscles involved are cramping and you know there's like pain in all the joints at that point it's like that competition mindset will get me to the finish line but like you know maybe i like my body just can't run the pace that i want it to at that time uh, and then I think about also like throughout the season, like you were saying, like, you know, how do you, how do you train in, you know, like in the same way when there's nothing to train for. And it's completely different when you're training for a race versus like just running. You know, when I think about like the days where I'm just going out for a run, you know, just I got like an easy run that day that like competitive mindset is just not there, you know, in terms of like. The uh, I think you said earlier, Dion, that the gym can be like a meditative place for you. You know, as someone who uh, runs a lot, you know, I can have days, you know, not not in this heat, but like, you know, when it's not so hot, I can have days where I have a six mile run that feels like completely easy. Like I would rate like, you know, difficulty wise, like a two out of 10 and the whole time either like. I'm chilling on a podcast. I'm listening to music while my mind wanders. And that like pushing myself competitive mindset is nowhere near. And then maybe like two days later, I hit like a 10 mile run with, you know, 400s on the track or sets of 15 minutes at a quick pace where that, you know, I got to like, you know. Hit that button on my watch and keep going and have that like now i gotta turn that competition mindset on uh it's 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 a weird sport for sure is because like so much of the time is spent not pushing yourself and then suddenly you gotta and that's like that's another thing in terms of the uh in terms of marathon training you know when i get out there you know working up to the longest runs of the season but when i get to like the week where i'm running 20 miles and I get to that 20 mile run. At the beginning, I'm not thinking like, "Oh man, I gotta run 20 miles." I'm thinking, "Man, this is gonna take a long time. I'm gonna be bored." And then it doesn't start to get difficult until like 15 miles in. And that's not saying I could do that, you know, any day or today. It's that when I when I'm training for a marathon, like you were saying, you spent 20 weeks getting ready for that powerlifting meet. And I spend 20 weeks getting ready for that 20 mile run. And for that marathon, so that, like, by the time I get to 20 miles, I've already run 14, 16, 18, 16, 18, 20. And when I get to 20, I know that the first 10 are going to feel easy and boring. And it's not not about running 20. It's about running 15 and then running another 5. And that's when, you know, like the whole time I'll listen to like, I'll bring my phone, I'll listen to like it's music, then a podcast, then more music, and I'll get bored. But then suddenly partway through the run, that's when I got to turn on that, you know, that competitive mindset that like, you know, I could give up, but I'm not going to mindset where, you know, this is what's going to like help me succeed in that race. You know, I can, I can push it for one more rep. I can finish this run at 20 miles instead of 18. And uh it's not something that that came overnight. I mean, I've been running for uh 15 years and I've been doing marathons specifically for four maybe. Uh and that that mindset of like, you know, pushing yourself to that like competitive athletic place is something that like not everyone has not everyone has to have and even if someone wants to have it it's not going to happen right away it's you know sometimes going out for a workout might end up giving up before you you know could have your mind might lose before your body but you tried you were out there you did more than if you hadn't done the workout
1: so you guys trying to give away a t-shirt i don't know are you trying to give away a (laughs) t-shirt? I am indeed trying to give away Let's do a t-shirt. It. So before this podcast, my lovely girlfriend slash assistant drew a name out of a cup. It was not a hat. You guys weren't cool enough for a hat, but you're definitely cool enough for a cup. And the name was Jacob Stevenson. My dude. <laughs> my dude. You got a free t-shirt, so I'll get your information. And then, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll go from there. But other than that, that's pretty much it for the boys here, I think. What's going on, guys? That the Fitness Roundtable with Andrew, k Barbell, Bill, Joss Training, and Dion at GamerFitness.com. The Roundtable is more of a discussion than anything. We hope you enjoyed. Leave a like and subscribe. Stay fit, stay strong, stay educated.